Part Two, Chapter Eleven of Burning Daylight by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One Sunday late in the afternoon found daylight across the bay in the Piedmont Hills back of Oakland. As usual, he was in a big motor car, though not his own, the guest of Swiftwater Bill, Luck's own darling, who had come down to spend the clean-up of the seventh fortune wrung from the frozen Arctic gravel. A notorious spender, his latest pile, was already on the fair road to follow the previous six. He it was, in the first year of Dawson, who had cracked an ocean of champagne at fifty dollars a quart, who, with the bottom of his gold sack in sight, had cornered the egg market at twenty-four dollars per dozen, to the tune of one hundred and ten dozen, in order to pick the lady-love who had jilted him. And he it was, paying like a prince for speed, who had chartered special trains and broken all records between San Francisco and New York. And here he was once more, the luck pup of hell, as daylight called him, throwing his latest fortune away with the same old-time facility. It was a merry party, and they had made a merry day of it, circling the bay from San Francisco, around by San Jose, and up to Oakland, having been thrice arrested for speeding, the third time, however, on the Hayward stretch, running away with their captor. Fearing that a telephone message to arrest them had been flashed ahead, they turned into the back road through the hills, and now, rushing in upon Oakland by a new route, were boisterously discussing what disposition they should make of the constable. "'We'll come out at Blair Park in ten minutes,' one of the men announced. "'Look here, Swiftwater. There's a crossroads right ahead, with lots of gates, but it'll take us back country, clear in the Berkeley. Then we can come back into Oakland from the other side, sneak across on the ferry, and send the machine back around tonight with a chauffeur.' But Swiftwater Bill failed to see why he should not go into Oakland by way of Blair Park, and so decided. The next moment, flying around a bend, the back road they were not going to take appeared. Inside the gate, leaning out from her saddle, and just closing it, was a young woman on a chestnut sorrel. With his first glimpse, Daylight felt, there was something strangely familiar about her, the next moment, straightening up in the saddle, with a movement he could not fail to identify, she put the horse into a gallop, riding away with her back toward them. It was Dee Dee Mason. He remembered what Morrison had told him about her keeping a riding horse, and he was glad she had not seen him in this riotous company. Swiftwater Bill stood up, clinging with one hand to the back of the front seat, and waving the other to attract her attention. His lips were pursed for the piercing whistle, for which he was famous, and which Daylight knew of old, when Daylight, with a hook of his leg and a yank on the shoulder, slammed the startled Bill down into his seat. "'You must know the lady,' Swiftwater Bill spluttered. "'I sure do,' Daylight answered, so shut up.' "'Well, I congratulate your good taste, Daylight. She's a peach.' and she rides like one, too. Intervening trees at that moment shut her from view, and Swiftwater Bill plunged into the problem 
of disposing of their constable, while Daylight, leaning back with closed eyes, was still seeing Deedee Mason gallop off down the country road. Swiftwater Bill was right. She certainly could ride. And sitting astride, her seat was perfect. Good for Deedee. That was an added point, her having the courage to ride in the only natural and logical manner. Her head was screwed on right. That was one thing sure. On Monday morning, coming in for dictation, he looked at her with new interest, though he gave no sign of it, and the stereotyped business passed off in the stereotyped way. But the following Sunday found him on a horse himself, across the bay and riding through the Piedmont Hills. He made a long day of it, but no glimpse did he catch of D.D. Mason, though he even took the back road of many gates and rode on in to Berkeley. Here, along the lines of multitudinous houses, up one street and down another, he wondered which of them might be occupied by her. Morrison had said long ago that she lived in Berkeley, and she had been headed that way in the late afternoon of the previous Sunday, evidently returning home. It had been a fruitless day, so far as she was concerned, and yet not entirely fruitless, for he had enjoyed the open air and the horse under him to such purpose that on Monday his instructions were out to dealers to look for the best chestnut sorrel that money could buy. At odd times during the week he examined numbers of chestnut sorrels, tried several, and was unsatisfied. It was not till Saturday that he came upon Bob. Daylight knew him for what he wanted the moment he laid eyes on him. A large horse for a riding animal, he was none too large for a big man like Daylight. In splendid condition, Bob's coat in the sunlight was a flame of fire, his arched neck a jeweled conflagration. He's sure a winner, was Daylight's comment, but the dealer was not so sanguine. He was selling the horse on commission, and its owner had insisted on Bob's true character being given. The dealer gave it. Not what you'd call a real vicious horse, but a dangerous one, full of vinegar and all-around cussedness, but without malice. Just as soon kill you as not, but in a playful sort of way, you understand, without meaning to at all. Personally, I wouldn't think of riding him, but he's a stayer. Look at them lungs, and look at them legs, not a blemish. He's never been hurt or worked. Nobody ever succeeded in taking it out of him. Mountain horse, too, trail broke and all that, being raised in rough country. Sure-footed as a goat, so long as he don't get it into his head to cut up. Don't shy, ain't really afraid, but makes believe. Don't buck, but rears. Got to ride him with a martingale. He has a bad trick of whirling around without cause. It's his idea of a joke on his rider. It's all just how he feels. One day, he'll ride along peaceable and pleasant for twenty miles. Next day, before you get started, he's well-nigh unmanageable. Knows automobiles so he can lay down alongside of one and sleep or eat hay out of it. He'll let nineteen go by without batting an eye, and maybe the twentieth, just because he's feeling frisky, he'll cut up over like a range cayuse. Generally speaking, too lively for a gentleman, and too unexpected. 
present owner nicknamed him Judas Iscariot, and refused to sell without the buyer knowing all about him first. There, that's about all I know, except look at that mane and tail. Ever see anything like it? Hair as fine as a baby's. The dealer was right. Daylight examined the mane and found it finer than any horsehair he had ever seen. Also, its color was unusual in that it was almost auburn. While he ran his fingers through it, Bob turned his head and playfully nuzzled Daylight's shoulder. Saddle him up and I'll try him, he told the dealer. I wonder if he's used to spurs. No English saddle, mind. Give me a good Mexican and a curb bit not too severe, seeing as he likes to rear. Daylight superintended the preparations, adjusting the curb strap and the stirrup length, and doing the cinching. He shook his head at the martingale, but yielded to the dealer's advice and allowed it to go on. And Bob, beyond spirited restlessness and a few playful attempts, gave no trouble. Nor in the hour's ride that followed, save for some permissible curveting and prancing did he misbehave. Daylight was delighted. The purchase was immediately made, and Bob, with riding gear and personal equipment, was dispatched across the bay forthwith to take up his quarters in the stables of the Oakland Riding Academy. The next day being Sunday, Daylight was away early, crossing on the ferry and taking with him Wolf the leader of his sled team, the one dog which he had selected to bring with him when he left Alaska. Quest as he would through the Piedmont Hills and along the many gated back road to Berkeley, Daylight saw nothing of Dee Dee Mason and her chestnut sorrel. But he had little time for disappointment, for his own chestnut sorrel kept him busy. Bob proved a handful in impishness and contrariety and he tried out his rider as much as his rider tried him out. All of Daylight's horse knowledge and horse sense was called into play, while Bob, in turn, worked every trick in his lexicon. Discovering that his martingale had more slack in it than usual, he proceeded to give an exhibition of rearing and hind-leg walking. After ten hopeless minutes of it, Daylight slipped off, and tightened the martingale, whereupon Bob gave an exhibition of angelic goodness. He fooled Daylight completely. At the end of a half an hour of goodness, Daylight, lured into confidence, was riding along at a walk and rolling a cigarette, with slack knees and relaxed seat, the reins lying on the animal's neck. Bob whirled abruptly and with lightning swiftness, pivoted on his hind legs, his forelegs lifted just clear of the ground. Daylight found himself with his right foot out of the stirrup and his arms around the animal's neck, and Bob took advantage of the situation to bolt down the road. With a hope that he should not encounter Dee Dee Mason at that moment, Daylight regained his seat and checked in the horse. Arrived back at the same spot, Bob whirled again. This time Daylight kept his seat, but beyond a futile rein across the neck, did nothing to prevent the evolution. He noted that Bob whirled to the right and resolved to keep him straightened out by a spur on the left. But so abrupt and swift 
was the world that warning and accomplishment were practically simultaneous. Well, Bob, he addressed the animal, at the same time wiping the sweat from his own eyes, I'm free to confess that you're sure the blamedest, all-fired, quickest creature I ever saw. I guess the way to fix you is to keep the spur just a touching. Ah, you brute! For, the moment the spur touched him, his left hind leg had reached forward in a kick that struck the stirrup a smart blow. Several times, out of curiosity, Daylight attempted the spur, and each time Bob's hoof landed the stirrup. Then Daylight, following the horse's example of the unexpected, suddenly drove both spurs into him and reached him underneath with the quirt. "'You ain't never had a real licking before,' he muttered, as Bob, thus rudely jerked out of the circle of his own impish mental processes, shot ahead. Half a dozen times spurs and quirk bit into him, and then Daylight settled down to enjoy the mad, magnificent gallop. No longer punished, at the end of a half-mile, Bob eased down into a fast canter. Wolf, toiling in the rear, was catching up, and everything was going nicely. "'I'll give you a few pointers on this whirling game, my boy,' Daylight was saying to him, when Bob whirled. He did it on a gallop, breaking the gallop off short, by four legs stiffly planted. Daylight fetched up against his steed's neck with clasped arms, and at the same instant, with four feet clear of the ground, Bob whirled around. Only an excellent rider could have escaped being unhorsed, and as it was, Daylight was nastily near to it. By the time he recovered his seat, Bob was in full career, bolting the way he had come, and making Wolf side-jump to the bushes. All right, darn you, Daylight grunted, driving in spurs and quirt again and again. Backtrack you want to go, and backtrack you sure will go, till you're dead sick of it. When, after a time, Bob attempted to ease down the mad pace, spurs and quirt went into him again, with undiminished vim, and put him to renewed effort. And when, at last, Daylight decided that the horse had had enough. He turned him around abruptly and put him into a gentle canter on the forward track. After a time, he reined him to a stop to see if he were breathing painfully. Standing for a minute, Bob turned his head and nuzzled his rider's stirrup in a roguish, impatient way, as much to intimate that it was time they were going on. Well, I'll be plumb gosh darned, was Daylight's comment. No ill will, no grudge, no nothing, and after that lambasting. You're sure a hummer, Bob. Once again Daylight was lulled into fancied security. For an hour Bob was all that could be desired of a spirited mount. When, as usual, without warning, he took to whirling and bolting. Daylight put a stop to this with spurs and quirt running him several punishing miles in the direction of his bolt. But when he turned him around and started forward, Bob proceeded to feign frighted trees, cows and bushes, wolf, his own shadow, in short, at every ridiculous conceivable object. At such times, wolf lay down in the shade and looked on, while daylight wrestled it out. So the day passed. 
Among other things, Bob developed a trick of making believe to whirl and not whirling. This was as exasperating as the real thing, for each time Daylight was fooled into tightening his leg grip and into a general muscular tensing of all his body. And then, after a few make-believe attempts, Bob actually did whirl and caught Daylight napping again and landed him in the old position with clasped arms around the neck. And to the end of the day, Bob continued to be up to one trick or another. After passing a dozen automobiles on the way into Oakland, suddenly electing to go mad with fright at a most ordinary little runabout. And just before he arrived back at the stable, he capped the day with a combined whirling and rearing that broke the martingale and enabled him to gain a perpendicular position on his hind legs. At this juncture, a rotten stirrup leather parted, and daylight was all but unhorsed. But he had taken a liking to the animal, and repented not of his bargain. He realized that Bob was not vicious nor mean, the trouble being that he was bursting with high spirits, and was endowed with more than the average horse's intelligence. It was the spirits and intelligence, combined with inordinate roguishness, that made him what he was. What was required to control him was a strong hand, with tempered sternness, and yet with the requisite touch of brutal dominance. It's you or me, Bob, Daylight told him, more than once that day. And to the stableman that night, my, but ain't he a looker. Ever seen anything like him? Best piece of horse flesh I ever straddled, and I've seen a few in my time. And to Bob, who had turned his head and was up to his playful nuzzling, Goodbye, you little bit of all right. See you again next Saturday, A.M. And just you bring along your whole basket of tricks, you old son of a gun. End of Part 2 Chapter 11